escaping the cave. And I'm getting really sick of guys named Todd. Godzilla X-Pod. Godzilla X-Pod. inside my mind told him the person in my heart's cruel and unkind person in my heart blames the wanderer in my feet but none of them point the finger at me good stuff a little Dylan-esque huh I was going to use some more of his new material I went over to Bandcamp and uh, I was going to buy an album I got permission to use his stuff I was going to use it get some new stuff right and it's all politically charged now. One of the songs that I really liked in the comments section was labeled How Not to Be an Ally, How to Be Bad at It. It's funny how creative people, and I've had this happen to me, it's not really a complaint, understand? Because <laughs> I've done this to people, especially with my photography. And I think the same thing happened with me in relation to Ross, that you can be interested in someone's art, and as soon as they taint it with politics or ideology, you are no longer interested in buying, promoting, using, acquiring that stuff. My UpperWorldPhoto.com page. A little slight plug there. That was my photography page. Still is. But I know for a fact that over the last few years, and I know this, nobody's actually said it implicitly or explicitly, but implicitly I know that there are probably people out there that would have loved to have bought one of these magical photographic creations and hung it on their wall, paid me good money for it. He, he's a liberal. Or, fuck him, he hates conservatives, or he hates liberals. Now, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm getting a, a dose of that now. He keeps calling me a green teabagger. I'm not buying that. That's okay. Again, I'm not criticizing Ross. He can do what he wants. He can be politically charged be an activist if he likes he can work really hard to be an ally but I'm free to not use his stuff <laughs> promote it any further than this so I would heed that artists you folks that want to make a living making shit and selling it keep your politics out of it it's a good idea you're going to have to make a choice between your activism, your religion and selling your work will come down to that, trust me Trust me. This is why I take my photography. You know, I didn't want to get into all this shit, but I will because it's a it's a podcast. Um, my uh, upper world photography, upperworldphoto.com page is still up there, and uh, it's basically used now. I don't really market anything on the internet at this point. It's used to send examples of my work to people, sort of like a portfolio. And where I actually make money now is I print my stuff up, I frame it, and I take it to street shows, art fairs, where people can look at the photos. They have the capability of picking up that actual picture without having to have somebody print it up and ship it to them. They can pick that up, pound a nail on the wall, and hang it up. People like that. But there's also no Matrix avatarism involved. They don't have any, any sort of exposure to this or the politics or the commentary there's none of that attached when they walk into a tent look at a picture say hey i like this 
Maybe tell them a story, a travel story or two, where I got it, like the Machu Picchu pictures or the Amazon, hitchhiking. They can just look at it, hear the background on it, decide if they want to give me a couple hundred bucks for it, and walk away with my picture. <laughs> and it works really, really well. Plus, there's no horse shit to cut through on the internet as far as cutting through the white noise. Went into that in episode one. That's my business model, and it works. You know, I can engage in business and commerce when I choose to. Take it to street fairs, shows, maybe potentially a gallery or two. But I have the choice of doing that. I don't have to maintain my online brand. I don't have to dump my photos into every (laughs) comment section or whatever to get people to see it and cut through and compete with Johnny-come-lately with an iPhone. It works a lot better. Anyway, that was unscripted. (laughs) Got a few changes around the uh, podcast place this week. Obviously, maybe you've seen that the feed has changed. It's no longer the old original feed that maybe you've been subscribed to for the last few weeks or few years. That feed is now dormant. I have a new feed, brand new, and it's mine. I own it. That was the whole point of the change. As for ChristopherMedia.net, apparently he's still going to keep the show up on the website. I do appreciate that. Uh, But if you want to continue receiving these episodes automatically and having them downloaded to your devices without having to go seek it out, you need to change your subscription settings. I've put a lot of stuff out there trying to make this as uncomplicated and as unconfusing as I possibly can. But here, here we go one last time. You're going to have to go over to iTunes, or you're going to have to go over to Google Play, or you can go to my website, escapingthecave.com, where I have links set up in the top post that all you have to do is click on them for iTunes or Google Play, and go to the new feed, hit subscribe. If you'd like to go to the old feed and unsubscribe, that's completely up to you. If you'd like to have them both in there, that's fine. But one thing, if you're going to go to Google Play or iTunes and do a search, You need to search on Escaping the Cave. There may be two identical feeds up there with the same artwork, okay? You want the one labeled Escaping the Cave. It will have six pieces of audio in it as of this episode. The other one, I think, has 17, 18. You want the one with the fewer episodes in it, because we are starting clean. Why are you putting us through all this, Todd? It was easy. Well, because it's, it's real simple. With the last episode, I realized something. That I'm developing my voice here. Now, I come from a radio background. It's really easy to do that in, in you know, corporate broadcasting. Uh, it's a little bit harder when you have a free, free-for-all, free-flowing, open format. You can talk about whatever you like. you got to find a voice. I mean, it's that, it works that way in anything creative. You've got to figure out your style, your voice is what they call it. And I think with that last episode, and judging by the downloads and the feedback, engagement that I've seen on that episode, I'm getting pretty close to it. I'm not there yet. I'm still kind of finding my footing. You know, I'm, trying, I'm struggling with trying to build an audience and piss people off. <laughs> I tend to work against myself in that, in that regard sometimes. But this is the time, I think. And I've got a pretty good sense about this. I'm usually pretty accurate, engaging my own material, 
I savage myself when stuff sucks. It's why I didn't last in stand-up. I was terrible at it. I knew it. But this one, I got a pretty good idea, I think, where this is going. And it's got the potential. It's going to be micro-niche. It's not going to be liberal or conservative-based. I'm not going to have the congregational, uh, politically religious faithful knocking on my door to get some doctrine. That's not going to happen. Well, it's going to be niche. I'm going to have a very specific demographic, as they call it in the radio business. And that demographic is going to be the politically, religiously unaffiliated. People who are fed up with both liberal and conservative extremism and what it's doing to us. The divisiveness. The unity via division idea. That's going to be my audience. And I have a sense that it's bigger than maybe I anticipated. That if I do this right, I get into a routine, find my method, and uh, get this shit out there on a regular, consistent basis, I may be able to build, eventually, with time, an audience. So back to the point, why did I change my feed? Because I want to own that. I want control of that. That's just common sense, man. If you think you've got something that you can do something with, you should own it. Like owning the rights to your music. Being able to do what you want, when you want, with your product. If I were going to translate it into photography terms, I've my rights, I don't have the rights to my material at this point. Somebody else is selling it. Or was up until this week. Now it's mine. And I can do with it what I choose to do. That kind of took Chris by surprise over Christopher Media. I think he understood. Not 100% sure about that. Although he did make a comment, something down the line of, uh, well, this is all great for you and I get very little benefit. Well, maybe. But honestly, it's worth the 375 a week to do that, to have control. I, I spend hours doing this. A lot of you podcasters, I know you're out there. A couple of you. You sit down at a microphone, babble for three hours, chop the ends off, call it a podcast. I put hours and hours into preparing these things and producing them. Make sure they sound good. Make sure they don't sound like a couple of drunken idiots at a 4 a.m. bar just before closing time in Chicago. Calling it a podcast. I work really hard at that. And I want control of it. Sink or swim. Hey, it may fail. <laughs> it might fail. Now I've got to do my own marketing. Get to that in a minute. Uh, but, yeah, if it does succeed on the small, infinitesimal chance that it blows up at some point, I do find this market, I do find this this uh, underserved portion of the population that thinks for itself and is sick of the dialectic, if I do find that and it catches on, I want it in my hands and no one else's. It's real simple. And this was the time to do it. I'm four episodes into this. I took three years off, and now I'm four year, or four episodes into the new one. I've got a pretty good sense of where it's going. I think it could connect. This is the time to do it. Not in a year. After I found my footing, found my momentum, and gathered more listeners, why would I do it later? A few people have come on board in the last, I guess, week. This is only the second, the end of the second week that I've done this. And some people have found it. So why the hell would I sit here for another six months or a year and then have to drag more people 
over to a new feed. This is the time. Early. And to listeners, I apologize if you've uh, subscribed to the old feed. Yeah, maybe it's confusing. Sorry. It's a pain in the ass. Well, really? Is it really that big of a pain in the ass <laughs> to go and subscribe to a new feed? If you're interested in this and you're engaged in it, no, probably not. It isn't that big of a deal. For the marginal folks, well, maybe it is. Oh, it's a new something. Go subscribe if you want. If you don't, it's okay. And no butts are going to be hurt, but I hope you do. Hope you migrate over and uh, definitely would like to see you over there. So, once again, Chris, I'm sorry for that. Apparently, he's still going to be carrying the show over at ChristopherMedia.net. Not sure how that's going to work. I know it will consist and constitute uh, items uploaded to the new feed. So you can still get it at ChristopherMedia.net as long as it's there. I'll keep letting you know about that. Uh, but again, new feeds, Google and iTunes. And you can get those links at uh, EscapingTheCave.com. And I hope you do. All right, I knew this was coming. When I switched the feed over this week, I realized that I was probably going to lose the someone else is marketing my stuff for me uh, benefit of being on the old network. I, I thought long and hard about this, and I, I admit it. Go ahead, laugh. Point your finger, do it. I'm going to take it. I got nothing, I got no defense here. I got egg on my face this week because I've been saying <laughs> on the podcast and to a lot of fucking other people. Uh, for the last two months or so, since the uh, social media disease thing started to kick in. And that philosophy's coming. I still believe it. I'm going to tweak it a little bit now. Uh, but I've been saying that I would never, ever, ever have another Facebook page. That I would never, unless an act of God, that I, didn't, I couldn't control my fingertips. And I said, I said this a million times. Well, maybe not a million. Maybe a thousand. I'd never get on Twitter again. And 2018 is turning into the year whose slogan should be, Never Say Never. Because if I'm going to take control of this feed and I'm going to own it, I'm going to be responsible for building it. I pretty much have to, since this <laughs> is delivered via the Internet. It's an online platform podcasting, and I pretty much have to go back to it uh, pains me to say it, Facebook and Twitter. So I did. It, it hurt. I felt physical pain. I was sitting there creating this fucking Twitter account, trying to figure out a, a username. It hurt. I almost got physically ill, but I have to do it. It's self-destructive not to. I, there's no two ways around that. I talked about... The difference is the Lenny Bruce thing between what should be and what is. Maybe I, in a perfect world, in a utopia, I shouldn't have to go on Twitter to let people know I have a podcast. Maybe I shouldn't have to build a Facebook page again or reanimate the old one. But that's not the reality we live in. People are on Twitter. People are on Facebook. That's how they get things these days. It's not like I'm going to take out a newspaper ad, USA Today, or the New York Times, say, listen to my pod. No, it doesn't work that way. 
You have got to do that. I don't have, I didn't have to do it if I was on the, the old network. But if I'm going to take control of my stuff, I also have to take responsibility for my own. Um, hey, I can't even say the word marketing. Branding. I have another outlet for the photography. See, I don't have to do that with the upper world photo stuff. I can go and put my stuff in front of people. I'm not going to go on a speaking tour. <laughs> I'm not going to take my soapbox over to Battle Creek and start preaching on the street corner to get people to listen to me. That didn't go happen. Mm-mm. Ever see the movie Talk Radio? Barry Champlain? That's how I'll end up. No. No. I haven't begun to really do anything with Twitter. It's like it's there. It's, uh, oh God. Here we go. ETC pod. Escaping the cave pod? ETC pod on Twitter. And the Facebook page is called Escaping the Cave. But it's there. It hurts. I, 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 uh, follow me on Twitter. It's like nails on a chalkboard. Follow me on Twitter. I see it doesn't get any easier the second time. <laughs> you can cruise over to the Facebook page too. At least that's been there. I, I shut that thing down in December. I just I figured I'd just let it go. But there are people that are there at least who were left over from the blogs and the uh, the photography. Used to be my old photo page. I had to get rid of so many people. I fired that thing up, and it's changed. Uh, what it is so many times over the years. I, I, it's, I have a little blurb written up on the page, but started out as just like a little travel blog. Yeah, I'm here and I'm here and I'm here. And then the writing took over, and then I decided I'd post my long-form travel stuff there, philosophical, observational, insightful, whatever you want to call it. I'd throw that stuff up there uh, from my uh, website. And then it turned into the photography page. So a bunch of people, and a lot of people came over from, for the photography because it's good, you see. UpperWorldPhoto.com. But now it's back to this shit, back to the podcast. So the people who showed up and liked the page because it was they liked the photography, now they're getting politics. No. That's just... I have a real problem with unsolicited opinions. Perhaps you've heard. If you didn't ask for this podcast to be thrown into your... Mighty Facebook feed, I don't want to put it there. You know, I want to keep the ability to say that you are soliciting my opinion because you're here. If you subscribed when it was the Upper World Photo page, you're not asking for opinions on politics. I had to literally go through and clean house to make sure that I wasn't spamming people with politics and with the podcast because they weren't interested in it. My girlfriend went through, and she had to clear out a bunch of her family. I don't discuss politics with her family too much. I, I dabbled with this episode or two ago. I just don't discuss it. They know I'm politically charged sometimes, and they don't engage me in it, and I don't engage them in it. We get along fine. But I sure as hell don't want this stuff showing up in her uncle's feed or whatever. So she went through and uh, cleaned house a little bit more. Yesterday. Now, yeah, it's a process, man. And I, I have this, this whole, I have it all lined up. It's coming. I have ideas for shows. I don't just sit down and uh, start babbling into a microphone like I have for the last half hour. But 
I have ideas coming. And the digital detox, the matrix, the social media disease opus, is if not on deck, it's in the hole. Facebook and Twitter. I, I got to find a balance with it. I have had no success whatsoever. I've spent the last at least three years, probably longer, trying to find a balance with social media and reaching the right people without napalming Facebook villages. I was never able to do that. So I came to the conclusion in uh, November, December, just shut it the fuck down. So I did. I didn't have any active profile. I had one active profile. I deactivated the one I'm using now, which is populated by 47 people, (laughs) 47 friends, half of which are travel folks that I'll probably never speak to again. But I deactivated that, added a bunch of people, as I mentioned, to this private group that I had, a secret group, about 30 people when it was at its peak, and that's where we would discuss things. My active profile was friend-free, zero people in it. So that way I could control what was coming in and only have what was going out to people who were interested in it. But now, with this, it's not tenable. I've got to be able to tell people about it. People have to be able to know that this thing is there and then make the decision whether or not they're interested in hearing it and subscribing to it. So I had to reactivate that was hard. I did this in Peru the week before I left. I had to reanimate and basically re-energize the uh, Facebook profile that had people in it. If for nothing else, to let them know, hey, got a podcast. Want to listen? It hasn't gone much beyond that, especially the last 10 days or so. That's pretty much all I'm doing on there. But I have to treat the Facebook page the same way, I think. And understand, if you go over there and hit the like button, you're soliciting opinions. Mine. You're soliciting being told about my podcast and receiving those things in your Facebook feed. Same with Twitter. I don't know how this is going to go. I've got ideas. And I also have recruited my girlfriend. Got her to say, yep. You know what? If I need to handle the, the online, the branding and the marketing, I will. I can give her control of the Facebook page and Twitter. And I can step the fuck away. And if you want to do it, I'll hook you up with a, with a nice, shiny, brand new Twitter account you can play with. <laughs> Not even kidding. Swear to God. I hate it. I don't want to do it. You know what my first tweet was? You know when you log on to Twitter, they, they give you the hashtag, my first tweet. My first tweet was, hashtag, my first tweet, hashtag, I fucking hate Twitter. I immediately got a heart. A love, a like. <laughs> immediately, before I had even any followers. I fucking hate Twitter. I despise it. I, I do not look forward. God, it's so hard. But, if I want to control my stuff, I've also got to control who... How much branding and how much marketing it gets. And how it's done. Yeah. Anyway. Original point. I have egg on my face. You can give it to me. I got everything. Everything coming. <laughs> what else am I going to say? Oops. Never, never say never. It's the motto for 2018, man. I'm in a bit of a mood this week. I got to tell you. Not a good one. 
got everything uploaded the other day. And, you know, I, I mentioned it in the first uh, first episode. The hmm, deciding whether or not I actually uh, wanted to come back and do this again. And part of the problem that I had was I'm in a bit of a quandary here. Because if you've listened to the first three episodes, and I know you have, I don't have a, really a built-in click, an audience. Everything's tailored these days, as I said in the, in the previous podcast, to ideological cliques and religions. And I've managed over the last few years to piss off everybody in Camp Teabag. And now I'm getting to the point where if you're part of the dialectic, if you think that Bernie Sanders was an ideological prophet here to save us from the evils of conservatism, I've pissed you off. So therefore, you know, it's pretty obvious that I have no click left. I have no camp. I have no mob. I have no warm glow of tribal unity to wrap myself in as I try to sleep in these cold West Michigan nights. People don't know what to do with me. Most of you have no idea. You're like, where the hell is he coming from? He's not a liberal and he's not a conservative. Who is he? I don't understand how to compartmentalize this man. and I don't know what to do. I will go find something that I can understand. Here's the thing, Moonbeam and Jethro. I guess you have to look at me like an unaffiliated sort of left-leaning libertarian. But I'm not going to put myself in the libertarian category either, because they're a bunch of pussies. I was involved with libertarians once upon a time. See, I, I've had a, 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 an ideological evolution that's come about shortly after the Iraq war started in 2003. I'm pretty much a liberal. I was a Democrat at that point. And I'm like, no, no, this ain't working for me. I got to go do something else. So... Uh, about 2006, I mentioned Michael Corbin, my old radio cohort in Denver. I met him at a Libertarian Party meeting. I tried to get involved at the state level with the Colorado Libertarian Party and discovered they don't have, they, they, they've got their ideals, they've got their idealism. They're the party of principle. Yeah, as long as you're sitting around a table, you know, rhetorically masturbating in front of one another, you're great. But they were sitting there, well, we got to wait until we can get involved in the system, until they let us in. Like they're waiting for a golden engraved invitation from the, the two parties, the two-party system, the plural party system. Like, no, ain't going to work that way. You got to get your asses out there. You got to go, you got to force your way through the door if you really want to be taken seriously. I was right. Gary Johnson. What did he do this year? He serves, you know, the... The uh, conservative role is the vulture Jill Stein, the same role she played, siphoning votes away uh, from people on the right or pissed off uh, people on the left. Now well, we got Trump. We really got Trump because of Jill Stein. You don't believe, oh, well, that was just a protest. Yeah, go look at your protest votes here in Michigan. I think it was Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. Go total up her votes. And then add those to Hillary's vote. And then do the Electoral College math. Genius. The third party. I think I'm getting off on a tangent here. I'll come back in a moment. Third parties don't work. They will not work. They'll divide and split one half of the electorate in two, guaranteeing the election of the people that these uh, two camps are fighting against. Divide and conquer. Third parties will not work. I could see third and fourth, maybe. But then you're edging towards parliamentarianism. 
which we probably, with 300 million people in this fucking country, should have anyway. It's the only way you're really going to get real representation in your government is a parliamentary system. But as things sit now, we don't have that. We've got the Electoral College in a pluralistic political system. You throw a third party in there, you're guaranteeing, because it's going to be liberal or conservative, a Green Party, come on. <laughs> you're liberals. So therefore, you're going to split the vote between the Democrats and the Green Party. You saw a perfect example of it this year. You take Jill fucking Stein out of that election. Hillary Clinton is president today. No, 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 no. Go do the fucking math. Go look at it. And then factor in the people who went out and voted for Bernie, even though he wasn't on the fucking ballot. You're just as responsible for Trump as people who stayed home. And back to libertarians. They're a joke. That party is a joke. Gary Johnson was a joke. That's why I abandoned that party after, what, six weeks? Like, no way in hell. These people are fucking crazy if they think they're ever going to do anything. So I'm not a Democrat, obviously. I'm not a Republican. (laughs) I hate Donald Trump just as much as you do, Moonbeam. I think he's just as much of an embarrassment as you do. I guarantee it. But I'm not on your side either. Because you have radicalized yourselves to the point where you are intolerable. You are insufferable for a whole slew of reasons. You are now just as insufferable as the Tea Party nut jobs that I was railing about 10 years ago. Where's a guy to go? Where's a guy who's interested in truth and facts and actually... Uh, keeping the, the country on track, an unradicalized track, where is he to go? I don't know any better than you do. And I may, may have mentioned it in another episode that uh, I came up with this Gospel of Joshua thing. I told a guy about it at the, the Super Bowl party we went to this weekend. It's the revised Gospel of Joshua. I assume you've seen war games. The only winning move is not to play. There is no choice here between... Radicalized conservatives, fascists, and these radical leftist groups. The Green Tea Party. There is no choice, literally, for a sensible human being who's not religiously affiliated with either party. And that's it, isn't it? You know, these ideocrats, ideological fanatics claiming uh, their religion will save the country is something like the literal evangelicals saying that all they need to do is force Jesus down our throats. That we need uh, a sky daddy infusion in the land of the free, home of the brave, to make America great again. It's the same thing, thinking that your ideology is the answer. Your religion, your political fucking religion is the answer. It's going to make everything okay. That's the problem. And that's why you can't compartmentalize me. Because I've rejected that. Both of them. I've rejected the political Muslims and the political Christians. Both. You're both full of shit. And it goes back to another thing I was talking about in another episode where we're split right down the middle. What do you propose to do? Either religion. How do you propose to force conversion of the other camp? How do you see that happening? 
Do you think radicalization is going to convince the other side that you're right? Or are you just gearing up for ideological warfare? Imposing your belief system, your political belief system, your political religion upon the other half of the country. How do you propose this is going to work? Both. This is a question for both of you motherfuckers. Both of you stupid fucking politically religious camps. I ask that of both of you. How do you propose to impose your religion on the full other half of the country? I've never gotten an answer to that. It's not even addressed. It's because you're so walled off and isolated in these little fucking echo chambers that you don't see what's happening. You don't actually, you choose not to see the path to get there. You've got two choices. You convince the other side that you're right, or you force it down their fucking throats. You either save them in the religious vernacular, or you conquer them and impose your contemporary Catholicism on the native barbarians, the savages. It's never addressed. I never, ever see this long game addressed by either side, either camp, either congregation. <sighs> TonzillaX at gmail.com. I would love, love to hear your... <clears throat> thoughts on how you intend to encamp <laughs> put these people in sort of intellectual concentration camps how do you how do you propose to do that tell me i'm asking you fuckers tell me i implore you explain this to me so i can be enlightened by your your doctrinal brilliance i want to hear it right now Open up your email, tonzillaxgmail.com. Tell me how you see this ending. I really want to hear it. That's some original music by a guy named Paul Vernon, British kid. Met him in Columbia, Salento, Columbia, about three years ago. Uh, met him at a hostel we were both staying at, wound up hanging out. We did ayahuasca together, twice. <laughs> yeah, that's not all we did. You want to have some fun, go to the Google and Google San Augustine, Columbia Special Tour. <laughs> we did that. Paid 50 bucks to do it. You know what it is? Probably shouldn't say this. Whatever. It's a thing where you go and make your own cocaine, coca leaves, chemicals, all of it. You make it from scratch, and you get to keep it at the end of the uh, little party. <laughs> not a party. Definitely not a party. You know, I walked in with this guy. It was a sketchy little setup to begin with. And we walk into this guy's house, little shitty-ass house. And this guy's supposed to be one of Pablo Escobar's former chemists, okay? And if you've ever seen the movie Scarface, you know where they walk into the hotel room, they've got the Colombian woman sitting on the bed holding the gun, and she's just got this look on her face like she would rather kill you than breathe. We walk into this house, and there's this woman. I swear to God, it could have been the same one. And she's just sitting there at a kitchen table, empty kitchen table, nothing on it except her hands and this big fucking knife. And she's just... 
on the table. Letting us know that if we want to fuck around, we ain't getting out of there. Not getting out of there at all. I have pictures and video of this whole thing because, yeah, he encourages you to uh, take pictures and shoot video because it's well known. We were hearing about the, the, the San Augustine special tour all the way in Medellin. I mean, hours away. We knew it was down there. It was not hard to find. And the reason we knew it was down there and wasn't hard to find is because it's all over the YouTube. It's all over everywhere. He, he, the only thing he demands if you want to take pictures and film it is do not put his face in there so the, the military can't figure out who's doing it. Well, it was great. We walked out of that place. Homemade cocaine made with our own little grubby hands. $300 street value in cocaine. You know what, kids? I've had an interesting life, especially looking back uh, over the last decade. You are listening to the Escaping the Cave podcast. My name is Todd. Won't be getting my last name now. Uh, Fresh feed up on iTunes and on the Google Play this week. Brand new feed. Uh, You may need to update your settings if you want to keep doing the uh, regular downloads, the automatic downloads. Go ahead and... Hit up the iTunes, do a search on Escaping the Cave. It's my podcast, same artwork, but it's labeled Escaping the Cave. And uh, reset your download subscription settings uh, to that, and you're probably going to want to do that with uh, Google Play as well. I haven't done anything on Stitcher as of yet. I'll get around to Stitcher when I get around to Stitcher. And if you want to get the daily downloads, I I do things kind of spontaneously, like earlier uh, in the week, I downloaded a cave dropping. Yeah, I don't know. It's not marketing. I don't want you to look at it like marketing, and I don't want you to try to make get me to look at it like it was marketing either. I, I, it was a little chunk of the the opening segment of this podcast. Put it together, produced it up a little bit as sort of a a taste for those who may be kind of wondering what they're going to get if they go and listen to the Escaping the Cave podcast on iTunes or on Google Play. So no, it's not marketing. Shut up! It's not mar. Listen to me. I don't want you thinking or trying to convince me that it's marketing. See, I have to keep this blocked off in my head. I, we can all use euphemisms here, okay? This is one opportunity that I will employ a euphemism, and I will call it public relations. Yes, I like that. It is not, not marketing. God damn it. It's not marketing. I don't care. Anyway, I did one of those this week. Uh, would have been a uh, a little surprise, a little dropping in your feed had you been subscribed to the ta- the uh, Escaping the Cave podcast, Todd's Alexa, whatever you want to call it. I'll figure out what I want to call it here before long. So, new feed, go check it out. Um, let's get on to things today. I didn't intend to go into that little rant for the open. It's just I have been in a mood this week, ever since the end of last week. And I'm trying to put my finger on it. Some of it has to do with marketing and all that crap and trying to reach people and realizing that I don't have a built-in listener base. I cannot go run into one of these mobs and start preaching to this massive, pitchforked, uh, smartphone-holding choir. I have to work a little harder to that. And I came up with an idea last year where rather than trying to do what everyone else is doing, and trying to fit in and blend in with a billion other people on the internet, you have to pick a target. You've got to really hone your message. You've got to zig when they zag. Everybody talks politics now, but they all come from a left or right agenda. 
a point of view or perspective, marketing to either liberals or conservatives. And the realization that I need this micro niche sort of has, coincidentally, this wasn't engineered or anything, but it's simultaneously occurred while I was moving away from the enemy of the of my enemy is my friend and being friends with the batshit radicalizing left. But I guess as I thought about it a little more over the weekend, a little more today, actually, I'm slowly realizing that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm cutting the fat off of both ends of the ideological spectrum, and I'm hoping, I'm trying to keep my sausage party hope here, that there's enough of an audience left in the middle that understand the words that are coming out of my mouth and don't just default back to the doctrine. I'm hoping there's enough of that audience there. I want to believe, man. I really want to have faith in you. Now, there's enough common sense people out there that can see what's going on with the divisiveness and the pulling apart of the fabric of American society for profit, power, for all sorts of things and all sorts of reasons. But I'm hoping enough people can see the game that's being played here and are willing to step out of that, off that ball field. Hoping to God, because if there's not, this podcast doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it's not going to change a goddamn thing. It's not going to change anything anyway. I'm not self-deluded enough to think of this fucking podcast. My little podcast, a guy calling himself Toddzilla in some back corner of the internet is really going to be able to change anything. If there's not enough people out there that are concerned with where the country's going, concerned enough with seeing the media and the political apparatus for what it's doing and the effects it's having and the long-term endgame, if there's not enough people out there concerned with that, this podcast doesn't mean anything because as a country, as a nation, as a society, we're fucked anyway. It doesn't matter then, does it? I'm trying to I'm trying to motivate and energize myself enough to push forward in this against the cynicism that maybe there aren't enough of you out there to really bother with. Tale of two voices. I mentioned that before. It really is. And I touched on it at the end of the last podcast that there's only one solution to this moving forward, and that is a reattachment, a rededication. Not just for me and you, but culture-wide. A reattachment to truth. A reattachment. Maybe there hasn't ever really been a solid attachment to it, but maybe we have to devise one. An attachment to trying to cut through our ego, trying to cut through our bullshit, our own internal narratives, our tribalism, to try to see reality as it is. I mean, at this point, you can go say Russian investigation to two different people in the country. And they will see it as two completely different things. Neither one interested in hearing any point of view other than the one that they've gotten from their ideological handlers. Neither one will be interested in hearing anything that challenges their adopted worldview and ideology. And they are completely different. Again, it goes back to this alternate factual universe. Completely different things. There's no middle ground between them. They're not basing anything on anything common. How can you run a country like that? How can you be part of a positive future in a country that's operating in this way? How? Toddzillax, gmail.com. Please, hippies, please, Trump bots, tell me where the hope is. If that's going to be the case, move forward. I don't see it happening. So we've got to reestablish a connection or try to establish our first connection, however you want to look at it with truth, 
with seeing reality. If you're a relativist and you believe in personal truth and your own personal reality, go away. Shoo. Shoo fly, don't bother. Just get the fuck away. You don't belong here. For the love of Christ, do not use that email address. I have heard every rationalization you can possibly imagine. I have been having the forthcoming conversation with people for almost 15 years. I know what you think. I know what's been shoved up your ass, doused in glitter. I know exactly where you're coming from. You're fucking wrong. It's, it's chum for the ego. My version of the truth is the... <sighs> truth is singular. Versions of the truth are mistruths. You don't get your own truth or your own reality. <sighs> I know if you've listened to this podcast, it may be the 18th time I've said that over the course of this my fourth episode now. But you don't get that. You don't get your own. And that's where we have a problem. That's a delusion. Your own personal reality is a delusion. Good Lord. Anyway, let's move forward from this. Because I could rant on it for another 45 minutes and just end the podcast. I'd prefer not to. Let's have some structure here. Let's try to be productive. Let's try to look at solutions. If there are any, let's look for them together, shall we? No, we're not doing it together. I'm doing it for you, and you're going to listen. Just the way the podcast works, man. Which is nice. Incidentally, you know, I was going to mention that. You know, podcasting. You know, I, I complain a little bit about it here and there. It's a weird, weird entity. Uh, but it's not bad, because it, it's, it's a lot like radio. Well, obviously, the obvious sense. Uh, but it's not a listening party. You know, I don't envision too many of you who are listening to this in a big group. It's an individual thing, a very personal thing, probably with headphones on, maybe you're at work, maybe you're alone driving in the car to and from work, out to get groceries, I don't know, driving down the interstate, maybe you're taking a road trip, and you, you have this on to keep you company. Hi there. Watch out for deer. It's one-to-one, right? And where you're listening privately, and you can actually sit there, and contemplate what I'm saying without some zombie voice in your ear, you know, citing and reciting acceptable ideological doctrine, arguing with me. He's wrong about that because Bernie said this. Or he's wrong about that because uh, Mr. Trump said it in MAGA. You're doing it by yourself. You have the choice now whether or not to be reflective, introspective, and listen to what the fuck's coming out of my mouth. And you can do it alone without anybody looking at you, without anybody judging what it is you're listening to, what you're thinking, that internal dialogue uh, that's going on in your head. And I'll tell you, I've said it before, individuals, individuals, you individuals, you can be, you can be smart, you can be introspective, insightful, uh, when you're engaged on an individual basis. People, though, oh my God, it's not quite a direct quote, but the classic book, The Crown, by Gustave Le Bon, crowds are fucking stupid. Not a direct quote. Believe it or not, he did not say crowds are fucking stupid. But he basically said, crowds, they're fucking stupid. And they are. Mobs are inherently stupid. And when you enter into a mob, become a part of an ism, 
Republicanism, liberalism, feminism, you become stupid. You surrender your intellectual autonomy to that of the group, and that makes you dumb. And if you're part of a dumb group, if you're a cell in a dumb organism, you by default have become stupid. Intentionally. Because you've surrendered your intellectual autonomy. However, individuals who choose to think by themselves, who choose to be individuals and use the brain cells they have that are functioning and actually contemplate things rather than being told what to think, having their mind's wall spray-painted, those people can be smart. They can be incredibly smart, incredibly insightful. They can teach you a lot of things. They can learn a lot of things. And those are the people we need, fuckers. Those, that's what we need. That's why I keep trying to cut the fat off of both ends of this fucking listener base, the left and the right. I, I want the extreme left gone. I want the extreme right gone because I can't reach them. You can't reach them. None of us can reach them. Only the prophet Bernie can reach them. Right? Only the orange baboon can reach them. Or Sean Hannity. Or Rachel Meadow. And her magical lesbianism. Ism, ism, ism. Anyway, individuals can be smart. People, fucking stupid. Isms, groups, fucking stupid. When the group takes over, it's over with, man. Right, Uncle Adolf? There's your Hitler reference. There's one. Let's write that down. Uh, Hitler one. There we go. I've been dying to get that out. <laughs> anyway, I touched on this uh, uh, Coyote Complex idea at the end of the last episode. And with the Super Bowl happening this week, uh, it, it dawned on me watching the game the other night. There was one specific incident that this tied into because sports really is a perfect example of how, uh, depending on their tribal preference, which team they root for, therefore identify with, right? People will see two different things on an instant replay. And they'll interpret it two completely different ways. They literally see two different things. I swear to God, I know they do. Their eyes see something different depending on their perspective and who they're rooting for. It's not that different from politics, ideology, religion, all that shit. The play at the goal line toward the end of the game, remember that? Who people wanted to win determined what they saw in the replay. Whether in their eyes and in their minds, it was an Eagles touchdown or not. Regardless of what was actually on the television screen during the replay. It's crazy. People are goofy. Have you ever heard of Joe Buck? Uh, he's a Fox uh, sports announcer. Does the World Series every year. Some people absolutely despise him for whatever reason. I can't figure out why, but they hate him. And if they do hate him, it seems that they always think he is biased against their team. Or whatever team they like. Always. Never fails. They'll tell you they hate him because he's biased. Of course they will. They gotta have a reason they hate him. Right? But I always watch the World Series and I never hear this naked cheerleading they claim he's guilty of. I've never heard it. I know what a couple of you are thinking here. These are, of course... Obviously, examples of confirmation bias, right? But just because it's one doesn't mean 
It's not also a symptom of the other. Are you with me here? It can be one and something else. It can be one and something else. That's my Seinfeld. I like it. You can sneeze, right? And you can have both a cold and be allergic to the cat at the same time. I feel like I'm talking to children. I apologize for that. I'm making blanket judgments here, but I really do. I feel like I have to explain everything anymore. The internet has scarred me. It's really made me cynical of people. I assume you're all just stupid. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I don't really... I don't like that about me. But yeah, you can sneeze and both have a cold and be allergic to a cat at the same time, Mr. Black and White. Yes, you can. And confirmation bias. Now, understand, I'm not saying that should be dismissed at all. It's a contagion. And that, as I pointed out in Episode 3, has been monetized and weaponized by both the media and the political apparatus. Confirmation bias is a real thing. It's an important thing. But it's not the only thing. And I'm not concerned with that just quite yet. My concern, at least moving forward today, is Coyote, the Don Quixote complex. Self-named, it's my idea, I came up with it 10 years ago. It's something I have tried to get rid of, it's something I've tried to disprove, it's something I tried to jettison because it's difficult. Because if you're going to use it on yourself, that gun is going to turn around and shoot itself at you at some point, and it's hard. It's much easier to stay deluded and unaware of these things. This is hard fucking work, and in fact, some of you may want to shut this off right now, because what I'm going to say may fuck your head up. It may fuck up how you look at yourself and your world, your, your worldview. You may start questioning your intellectual motives on why you do things. That's not comfortable, kids, and I'm not going to tell you it is. I'm not going to tell you that the truth is going to set you free. This is a motherfucker. Leads to the abyss. It did with me for a long time. That's coming, too. This is not easy. You know, there's nothing painless about enlightenment, seeing the truth and seeing yourself in the world. That's why so few fucking people do it. So, are you sure that you want to proceed with me? My concern moving forward today is the willingness, the eagerness to delude oneself into seeing what's not really there in order to protect the adopted worldview, the personal identity, and our self supreme elevated sense that we and our chosen tribe reside both at the center of the fucking universe and are superior to the other the auslanders the barbarians the savages whatever you want to call it we always have someone we need to be doing battle with and looking down upon Oh, yeah, and it also keeps us elevated into this position where we are sort of implicitly see ourselves as the chosen ones. We're the ones that are going to inherit, if not the earth, at least the country. Hey, hippies. Hey, D-baggers. You're the chosen ones, right? You're right. We got God on our side. Yeah, we got human rights and equality on ours, even if we don't know what fucking equality means. Clearly don't. You can't fucking use it properly in a sentence. <sighs> but it goes far, 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 far beyond politics, okay? Understand, this isn't a political conversation we're having here. I'm just highlighting maybe the, the examples of how it manifests itself because that's what's top of mind. But this is not a political conversation at its core. 
It goes far, way beyond politics. In fact, I think it's one of humanity's signature traits. When I was in Waterloo, Iowa, working at the station in the late 90s, had a gig doing middays. Every Friday, noon, Bad Hair Friday. Nothing but hair bands for a complete full hour. Every Friday was my favorite part of that job. It didn't last very long. Not a lot of great things there. But dug this out of the vault one week, had completely forgotten about it. And uh, fell in love with it again. Do another version show. Master Pussycat, a version of Carly Simon Classic. You're listening to the Escaping the Cave podcast, also the Tanzilla X pod. One podcast, two names, because it's that special. On iTunes, Google Play, you can also click over to the uh, ChristopherMedia.net website and uh, check out the other shows over there if you want to huh, as well. So let's get into this bitch today, shall we? It's a long, it's expansive, and I'm telling you, I wasn't kidding. And in that last segment, you may not be ready for this. I'm not kidding. I'm not saying that to like, ooh, it's the keep them locked in with threats that uh, they're not going to like it. No, no, it's none of that. Okay? This is hard stuff. And as I mentioned before, I came up with this in 2009, this idea. Struck me in Port Townsend while having a conversation with Friar Chris. And affected me in more negative than positive ways for a number of years. It took my theology away from me. My center of the universe stuff, you know, the, the synchronicity ideas, that the universe is looking out for me, that there was a grand plan, that these little events were happening for a reason. It made me realize that I was probably deluding myself at least a little bit. I wanted to see what I wanted to see rather than tethering myself in reality. Chris and I have gone rounds on this. Chris knows this inside and out. He doesn't agree with it. It's fine. I don't agree with a lot of the things he says. I'll put mine up against his in a battle of what's real and what isn't any day of the week. I'm not speaking out of school. He knows that. <sighs> you ready? Okay. Away we go. If you've been a Toddzilla file for a long time, a lot of this is going to sound familiar. Probably already does. What you're about to hear is both a time capsule and an invitation to watch a natural birth. This stuff, a lot of it comes from 2009. All right. Without the screaming, no birthing here, not going to be any babies in the background. Uh, but most of this was left in the archives as an undistilled work in progress when I was doing a lot of writing before the podcast. And one I intended to revisit for a number of years, almost a decade. I wanted to update all this. Wanted to find a place for it, a use for it. Finally found it. And it needed some editing for clarity, both mine and yours. Uh, but as often happens, I uh, sort of just moved on and... Uh, Put it away again after I updated it. Mentioned a minute ago, originally hatched Port Towns in Washington, written stuff. Uh, but I quickly uh, retracted when I realized that this idea, Quixote, Don Quixote, is enormous. It's a terrible word. It's literally proper use. Impossible to overstate the impact 
and effects it would have on me over the next decade. And you know what? It doesn't even need that much explanation moving forward. I think you already have a pretty good idea what I'm talking about. It's how people who identify too closely with something will choose to see something completely different than actually exists in reality just to protect themselves from cognitive dissonance, challenging what they want to believe. Now, the book Don Quixote, I take a different interpretation of this book. I've heard it said so many times, if you want to be a knight, act like... No, no, I think he was actually commenting on a very specific human trait. And I think he wrote a book about it. Human delusion. The willingness to see what is not there because we desperately want it to be there. I'm not a classic literature scholar by any stretch of the imagination. There's also an aspect to the book, too, where there are people who are trying to help him do what they can to bring him back to reality. Hey, it's not really there. Well, they kind of, at some point, give up. Because he doesn't want to see it. He is happier out there frolicking in the world. And there is a, you know, a train of thought. Aaron agrees with this, I think. He's actually, well, I don't know if he agrees with it, but he's argued it, that maybe that's okay. And maybe it is. As long as you stay in your lane. I sort of attribute these traits to people who are fanatically religious. People that desperately need religion as their operating system so that they're... Processors run smoothly. Get through life that way. I have no problem with that. As long as you're not trying to inflict it on anybody. As long as you're not trying to um, browbeat someone with your beliefs. As long as you're okay with people not believing that. And you have a personal relationship with these beliefs. And it doesn't go any further than that. I have no problem. I encourage it. If it makes you happy, go do it. Whatever gets you through the day. I've said this a hundred times. But it becomes a problem when you swerve out of your lane. And that's what we're dealing with today. Because we have taken this mm, eagerness to see what's not there. This confirmation bias has turned into Quixoteism, where we actually see two different things fueled by two different medias. But we choose to see it. Why is it that a liberal can't sit there and watch Fox News? Because they see it. They choose to see the bullshit. A Fox News adherent? Trump bot, Trump supporter, cannot sit there and watch Rachel Meadow as they will see through her bullshit. Why is that? Why is it that people can be so susceptible to agreeable horseshit information? And I think it's Quixoteism. People choose not to see anything that challenges what they want to believe or their identity. Quixoteism. Choosing to see what's not there. There's so many examples strewn around the culture and throughout my travels. And there is only one cure to this. A commitment to seeing the truth, not your truth. The truth. The singular truth. See, I'm trying to get quieter as I get madder. As I get more angry, I tend to my, my volume tends to raise and I hear you, but it's my truth. No, it's not. It's not your reality. And the only 
solution to this is tethering yourself and a commitment to it. <sighs> Nasuke Te Ipsum. Uh, it's written on the Oracle at Delphi. It's also in the movie uh, The Matrix, although it's, it takes another form in Temet Nasuke, another way to say it. What it means is know thyself. The unexamined life is not worth living. And to know yourself is an incredibly difficult, uncomfortable process. And it's one that can only be undertaken by seeking out the truth in yourself. Examining your own delusions is the only way it can happen. I mentioned Vitam Impendera Vero in the last podcast. Got that from Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Oh, French philosopher guy. Oh, interesting dude. Really weird guy. Read a, read a bio on him about 12 years ago. And got that from him. That was his motto. Vitam Impendera Vero. It's Latin. It means truth at all costs. Truth at everything. I can't really find a direct translation to it. or well, Maybe I haven't looked hard enough. But that's essentially what it means. Truth before everything even to the point of death. You're not going to start there. You're not going to start at level 15, but being aware of that, being aware that you're actually seeking truth is the antidote to Quixoteism. It's at least a treatment, if not a cure. I was sitting at a Super Bowl party last weekend. Uh, girlfriend's cousins found a book sitting on this dude's uh, shelf. <laughs> right here. Really out of place. It's the only book of its kind up there. Uh, but it's Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, a book I own. I have it on Kindle, have it uh, in print as well. Fantastic book. I won't get too far into it. But I've also started to read a few other Stoics over the last six months or so. And I found some similarities between them and uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson and the uh, Transcendentalists of uh, the mid-1800s. And anyway, I'm sitting on the couch waiting for the Super Bowl to start, watching kids play on the floor, start reading the introduction to this. It's the Penguin Classics introduction, and uh, it's written by a guy named Maxwell Staniforth. And I don't know a lot about Stoic doctrine, religion, philosophy, whatever you want to call it, but I learned something, and it falls under the heading of logic. They have a whole system of logic, apparently. I'll learn more about this, and I'm probably going to do a whole big segment on it at some point because I think it's important. Uh, in their system, knowledge begins with impressions, okay, which are produced by the impact of things or qualities on the senses. I'm actually reading from the book here. It is then in the power of the mind to pass judgment on what the senses report. This is the part that literally, well, not literally, improper use here <laughs> not on any psilocybin today uh, but this is the part that, that jumped off the page it is then in the power of the mind to pass judgment on what the senses report to assent to it as a truthful presentation of objective reality or to reject it as false evaluating your own senses Critical uh, importance of this step is stressed repeatedly by Marcus Aurelius throughout meditations. Some impressions, of course, will command immediate and spontaneous assent. For example, the elementary notion that good is beneficial and evil harmful. Okay, don't have to put a lot of thought into that. But in other cases, assent is given only after deliberate reflection. And it may vary 
from a hesitant approval so weak and faltering as to constitute a mere opinion. You there? You staying with me? Up to the positive assurance that it is produced only by a so-called arresting impression. This is an impression so strong that in the words of one writer, it seizes upon the subject, as it were, by the hair and exhorts his assent. <laughs> this is true, goddammit! Right. Nevertheless, even an impression of this kind may in fact be imperfect or misleading, and consequently the assent founded upon it, no matter how assured, may be mistaken. It must therefore next be submitted to the scrutiny of reason. The sovereign power, the sovereign power, reason, which alone can issue the passport to conviction. Finally, this personal conviction must be verified by comparison with the experience of past ages and sages and confirmed by the general verdict of mankind. I don't know about that. Not this, what what if the, <laughs> the general verdict of mankind is made of a bunch of doofuses and then becomes knowledge? There are many steps here, getting from impressions to knowledge. In explaining these four stages, Zeno, some guy, I don't know, like I said, I haven't read a lot of this, I don't really remember who Zeno is, but uh, he used to illustrate impressions by the outstretched fingers, assent by the closed hand, conviction by the clenched fist, and knowledge by the fist gripped tightly in the other hand. That is the Stoic philosophy of logic. Not trusting your impressions, not trusting your senses and your feelings as being accurate and truthful because you're fallible. You're not perfect. You are a flawed human being. And the problem that we're running into today, all of those middle steps have been flushed down the shitter. They don't exist anymore. If you feel it, it must be true. It's my feelings. My feelings are my personal truth. Are you with me? Are you still there? Are you awake? Impressions to knowledge. According to the Stoics, and I honestly I agree almost wholeheartedly with everything I just read. Because your senses can be flawed. Your mind, your process, everything can be flawed. I mean, this is Buddhism. It's a big tenet of Buddhism. Don't trust your senses. You have to disconnect and detach from your senses. They tell you, you know, don't worry too much about what the food you're eating tastes like. Don't get too attached to your possessions, even people. That's part of the ego work in Buddhism, is not being attached to anything. Think about the things you're attached to. Material possessions, your relationships, how you feel, your mood, what you like and what you don't like. Those are all attachments, sensory input. I think these two things are very, very closely related. Now, like I said, I haven't read too much on Stoic philosophy yet. I will. <laughs> I'll find something on this. I just found this book a couple of days ago, been busy. That's all I've had a chance to read, but I will find out more about this idea of Stoic philosophy. Next step, I think, is physics. I think the next thing that they're going to sort of outline here. But detachment from sensory input 
and not putting too much stock and not completely ignoring them. Obviously, unless you're a damn Buddhist. Name's Buddha. My name's Bubba. No, it's Buddha. Yeah. You're not ever going to completely detach from them. That's not what I'm saying. I think you know that. But not trusting your senses and your feelings completely. Understanding that they could be wrong. That the senses are fallible. Your feelings, even more so. So, first step, in my view, in my experience, actually, personal experience, (laughs) hard-earned. I'll give you a little more background on this. Maybe I'll tell you about the abyss, maybe in this one or the next one. Uh, It's a mind fuck. It's an identity fuck. I mean, it's a life fuck. But it's the proper path, in my view. It's the authentic path along, at least parallel, running closely parallel to truth and reality. And coming back to the politics, my friends, that's what this thing, it's what triggered this whole thing, is if we want to right the ship and get to the point where we can actually coexist peacefully in a sense of commonality, we have got to at least get on the access road running parallel to the interstate of truth, in fact, in reality. And that, I think, begins with being mindful of your observation bias, the genetic tendency towards Kyotism, and learning that your feelings and your senses, your initial thoughts, have absolutely nothing to do with reality, truth, and knowledge. And the shit that you're ingesting through your boutique news into your echo chambers, even less so. It's disclaimer time. The call is real. The caller is real. The chick in the studio, everything about the role she's playing was fake. Enjoy. Q106. Hey, it's me. How you doing? Good. What's up? Not too much. My stripper friend's here. Is she? Yeah. Sweet. What's her name? Robin Swallows. <laughs> Robin. What was the last name? Swallows. Robin Swallows. <laughs> Are you going to put me on the air? No. I changed my mind. Oh, you, why? Because you called me a, you, let's see, how many times did you call me a fag? I and how many times you did you say I was sitting here off and that I needed to get laid and I probably couldn't get laid because all I did was sit in a little room that all night? What was me. that you said? That wasn't me. Come on, man. You take too much work. How much work is to push a button? When I'm getting my quite a bit. Just push a button. What are you doing? What are you doing over there? Just are you sitting out. there? Who are you hanging out with? A couple of guys? Hell yeah. yeah. They're my best friends. And I'm sitting here getting by a stripper, yet I'm the fag who never gets laid. More power And now to you, you want man. me to put you on the air. More power That's to just you. pretty up, don't you think? Hey, I didn't say it. Yeah, you it did. Them. No, it was them. It was them. You're guilty by association. Oh, come on. Come on. It was them. Dude, you should see this chick. My God. If my car wasn't a piece of I'd be up there and see her. No, you wouldn't, because you'd go to jail then. I wouldn't let you see her. Just Why would I go to jail? Let's call the cops. Why? Because you're stuck in the building, man. All right, well, uh, I wouldn't ooh, man. Federal government, you know, it's a law. You can't you can't case out a federal institution. We're regulated by the FCC, federal government. That's prison, man. Dude, come on, man. Oh, man. Oh, 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 oh. Come on, dude, put me on. Nah, I'm a fag. I Remember? didn't say that. How you doing down there? <laughs> Yummy. <laughs> Mad props, dude. Come on, put me on. <laughs> I'll talk to you later, man. Peace. We interrupt this record to bring you a special bulletin. We're Lansing's original rock. Rock and roll radio station. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? You know, I figured the show, it's been pretty heavy today. I figured maybe we could use a little comic relief. 
or at least some vulgarity from my old radio days. It was uh, 2003. And that station there, Q106 up in Lansing, man, that is a legendary uh, station. has been around since the early mid-80s. And boy, it's huge. That was fun working there, man. Really enjoyed it. I'm not so sure they'd like me. Uh, you know, it's funny. One other quick story. <laughs> I've got some good ones. Uh, that bit was one of the last things I did at that radio station. And a uh, little background information. Not all these calls are put on the air live. That one wasn't. It was recorded. I chopped it up for my purposes and my benefit and that of the listener. Not necessarily that of the caller. <laughs> but anyway, what you can do is when people call in, you hit the record button on this machine. And even if you don't use the call that night, you can, you can keep it and you can archive it and play shit that you recorded three months ago when it finally fits, right? Anyway, I did play that that night. That came off my air check tape. Uh, but about a week later, girlfriend and I took off for a uh, road trip. We went down, uh, I think we went down to the Hall of Fame and whatever. It was like uh, sometime in August. Took off for like two weeks. I was never on the schedule again <laughs> after that. I was just doing weekends. It was after I'd gotten fired from my, my main gig, and I was just trying to keep my foot in the door. So I was doing, like, Friday and Saturday nights up there. Uh, but they never called me again to, hey, you got to come in and work. I wonder if they heard that or if somebody found it on the uh, shortcut machine. That's what the machine was called. I, I don't know. Technically, I think I still have a job there. I think I may still be on their employer roles up there in Lansing. Oh, boy. Oh, Q106. How I miss thee. Oh, and, uh, yeah. I've moved on from uh, having strippers on the air. Thank God. Shut up. Shut up. You gotta keep it down. I'm busy. Anyway, you're listening to the Escaping the Cave podcast, the Toddzilla X-Pod. Call it what you will. I'll figure out what I'm gonna call it here probably in the next uh, month or so. Thanks for uh, clicking in, and one more reminder that if you're getting this uh, via the ChristopherMedia.net site, my feed has changed. You need to update it, and uh, make sure that you uh, continue getting these wonderful creations delivered, hand-delivered to your device. So anyway, we were talking a minute ago about coyoteism uh, and, and how you fight, how you combat the human tendency, the very, very human tendency to ignore reality in favor of comfortable and comforting delusions that protect your identity and your worldview. Basically insulate you from cognitive dissonance. <sighs> it's a thick subject, like I said. It's something I'm going to... I'll delve into, I think, I think repeatedly throughout the course of this podcast, as long as I do this. And thinking back on it, I realized that I didn't go nearly as far in-depth into the philosophy I have behind what it is and how it sort of taints our lives. But I have a wealth of material, my friends. I have, I could fill notebooks with this stuff. And as for today, I don't want to go too much further into this because uh, we're heading back to Massachusetts to end our New England residency next week. It's Friday as I record this now. We're getting about a foot of snow coming in off the lake. Uh, but uh, we're leaving here Monday after the uh, the weather clears, and we'll be out there uh, maybe 10 days or so. But the nice development about this is that Friar Chris, guy I was staying with down in Peru, a guy who was there at the very beginning of that of this philosophy, literally, it was a conversation between he and I that uh, triggered all this. But he's going to be staying with me for about uh, 10 days as we wrap up the apartment there in Massachusetts. And he and I are going to be sitting down, if I can get the equipment to work, and we're going to do a podcast together, maybe two. 
So I don't want to delve too far into this. I mean, I do. Trust me. I really do. But I want to hold some of this back. I think until next week and the week after, because he and I have talked for countless hours about this. The discussions we always have are deep and they're good. Um, And I think I want to delve into this with him next week. But what I can tell you, again, I've never really gone back the very beginnings of this little odyssey that I started back in 2004. I can tell you that it started with a stream of consciousness writing. And there's this book called The Artist Way by Julia something or other. I forget her, uh, Cameron, Julia Cameron, that's her last name. I read 40 pages of it. <laughs> big, like a, it's not real big, but it's like a, uh, you're supposed to do this, this, this week, this next week, this next week. It's like 12, 14 weeks, something like that. I went through the first 40 pages, the initial step, which is stream of consciousness writing. You sit down, you write three pages, don't let your hand stop. And uh, started that in August of 2004 and instantly almost instantly, kicked me off the path I was on, and that was the proverbial nexus of everything. Really the foundation of signal to noise as well, because the stream of consciousness stuff shows you how fucked up the internal dialogue is, your internal narrative, as my friend Eric the Dutchman calls it the stories we tell, the crap that goes on inside of our own heads. Most of us aren't aware of it. it happens almost in a vacuum, almost automatically, without any sort of you know, detached observation of the thoughts that are going through our head. Stream of consciousness writing will show that to you. And it's... <laughs> you don't trust your senses? Don't trust the shit going on in your head. I've got an episode planned all about internal dialogue, personal narratives, and Eric's stories and what they do to you. Part of this ties into the book, The Shallows, that's going to be featured heavily in the social media disease and the digital detox stuff that's coming up. Because your brain doesn't discern between your stories, your narratives, your internal dialogue, the crap you make up in your head that's based on nothing. Your brain doesn't discern that. It affects you psychologically, independent of whether they're real or not. Your brain interprets it that way. I got things, man. <laughs> I got stuff. But yeah, you don't you shouldn't trust everything going on in your mind. And it's 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 a difficult process, but I think an essential one to establish at least mindfulness of your mind. And I'm not quite here yet. I'm getting better about it, but also establishing a sense of cognitive control. That's what stream of consciousness, though. That's the original first step. That is the initial baby step you take down a very, very long and rocky road that pays off in the end. Something here I think I'm going to save for later. I wanted to get into this a little bit. It's called The Trailhead. Uh, I think it's something that I may have posted up to the blog. If not, it's uh, probably in the drafts folder. But this ties completely into this. Um, And I think I want to hold off on this. Just for a little while. But what I will give you at this point is I want to give you a little background on the name because it ties into this as well. The name of the uh, the podcast is called Escaping the Cave. My photo site, if you were listening earlier, you heard it. It's called uh, UpperWorldPhoto.com. Go buy a picture. I'll tell you what. You buy a picture, mention the podcast, I'll give you 25% off. <clears throat> No prices listed there. Is he really giving me 25% off? No. 
<laughs> anyway, escaping the cave. <laughs> an upper world photo. Escaping the cave and upper world. They both come from Plato's cave. And the allegory of the cave, it's in Republic. A classic book, 2,000 years old. Very small chunk of Republic. The allegory of the cave. However, it's mind-blowing. Short, it's quick. You can read it in 20 minutes, maybe a half hour. Maybe. It might take you that long. But if you've ever heard of the brain in a vat theory, would you know your brain's in a vat? It's also based on Plato's cave and, and, and the movie, The Matrix, is based directly on Plato's cave. Basic premise of it, I'm not going to give you the whole thing. I'm not going to go through and read it verbatim for you, but the basic premise is that you've got a bunch of people in a cave. They've been born there. They've lived there. They don't know any better. They're chained to that cave. They cannot move and they cannot turn around. And behind them is a blazing fire of marionettes and puppets and whatever else. And the shadows are being projected on the wall by these people behind them. And they make up their reality based on what they see in front of them since they can't turn their heads. They give the shadows names. That is their world. That is their personal reality. What they see. Because they cannot turn around and do not know any better. Their entire identity is based on what they see projected, the shadows projected on the wall. It's mind-blowing. I suggest you go read it. Plato goes on, the dialogue goes on, and he uh, says, well, let's, let's pretend one of these people breaks free. He cuts the chains and figures out how to get out of this cave. He finds the exit and, I don't know, runs up toward the, the opening in the cave and finds himself suddenly in the upper world. Outside of the cave, the real world, if you will. And I know you will because you're here and it's my podcast. So you just did. He's up in the real world. The upper world is what Plato called it. He's an adventurous sort, clearly. Now he goes and frolics around, runs around, exploring the real world. And he's amazed. It takes him a long time for his eyes to adjust. He doesn't know what he's looking at. He doesn't know what he's seeing. He's been in a cave his whole life. And now he's got the wonderment of the, the natural world before him. The real world. Takes a long time. Probably terrified at first, I would think. But he fights through it. And then he has a decision to make. And this gets into the crux of some of the philosophy, some of the major philosophy behind this. Because if he's a, a moral adventurer, a guy with any sense of altruistic responsibility to those he left behind in the cave, he's obligated to go back down in there and tell the people what he saw. How do you think they're going to react to that? Oh, well, if they told me, I'd be like, woo, I want to go see. Uh-huh. Really? You sure about that? Glauson, I think is his name. Glaus, I, I have to look it up. I think Glauson and uh, Plato, the dialogue here, they discussed this. And Plato put forth the proposition that, well, the people probably would call him crazy. They wouldn't want to believe him. They wouldn't want their reality challenged. They wouldn't want someone coming down and say, Hey, that little doggy on the wall, not really doggy. That's a shadow of a doggy. George Bush? <laughs> Sorry. And the people would respond, No, that's a dog. Stop it. You're crazy. Blasphemy. You're nuts. 
Plato suggested that a lot of the people would either call him crazy or go as far as killing him because he's antagonized them and their reality, their identity, their worldview, and how they relate to that worldview. Where they fit in the world has been completely uprooted. And if they buy into this, if they accept it, they then got a responsibility themselves to go see it if they're committed and tethered to actual truth and reality. Once they've been shown that their reality is fake and false and they've been deceived, maybe by no fault of their own, but once they're told that and they accept it and they embrace it, then they have a responsibility, if they're committed to truth, okay, to going up and seeing for themselves, following the direction that our little adventurer, our returning adventurer, probably would be more than happy to give him, help him break those chains and show him where the, where the, where the cave entrance is. If they accept his story, then they have an implicit responsibility to go up there and look for themselves or know on some level that they're living a delusion. It's much easier to say, you're fucking nuts. You're fucking crazy. He's, he's insane. Or to kill him. That's the crux of Plato's cave. That's also, I think, the crux of self-delusion and coyoteism. It's easier to pretend that the shadow on the wall, the puppy on the wall, is a real puppy, even if you know better, than it is to admit to yourself that your identity is flawed, your worldview is skewed, and admit, even on a, a microscopic level in your mind, that you have a responsibility to go find the truth. That's the crux of self-delusion. But Plato's cave is, I tell you, it's really short, but ideas per word, that's one of the most powerful things I've ever read. I think it's one of the most powerful things ever written. I really do. And again, we had this conversation on the other podcast with Aaron. And he's like, well, what if people like their delusions? And they don't want them. Well, I touched on this earlier. Stay in your lane then. It's fine. You want to believe that's really a puppy on the wall, dancing around, flames behind it, that shadow? It's okay. But stay in your lane. You know, if you want to stay in the Matrix, it's fine. In the movie, they touched on this. Cypher. You know, he went as far as to make a deal with the agents just simply because he wanted the fuck back in there because it was, it was easy. He knew it was fake. But he enjoyed the comfort of the delusion. And he didn't want the responsibility of living in the desert of the real. He wanted that juicy steak in his mouth, even though it was fake. He wanted the illusion of that steak in his mouth. Again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's weird. I understand that, but it's not for everybody. Seeking truth, as I said in the, in the second, you sure you're ready for this, is not for everyone. But I hope that you can find enough self-awareness. If, if you're in that category... And it's not for you. I hope you have enough intellectual honor and self-awareness, mindfulness to understand that and get the fuck out of the way. Because I think we're in a situation today, back to politics, where people don't have that. They don't have that level of self-awareness, of intellectual and spiritual responsibility to say, hey, you know what? 
I like this. I like this delusion. I'm going to keep it. But yeah, I'm going to get out of the public discussion. That's what we need. We need a lot of things. Keep your delusions. It's fine. Stay in the matrix. That's fine. But get the fuck out of the way. Just because you enjoy it there, and just because you want to reside there, don't cock block anybody else from discovering what it is and what actually is real. What actually is the truth. And I'm afraid, as I just said, that's a big part of what's going on. People fiercely protecting that delusion and impeding those who really want to get to the truth. It's hard. Very difficult. Having that level of self-awareness and that the ability to look at yourself in the mirror and say, hmm, eh, I'm kind of full of shit here. <laughs> I don't want to say I don't know to anything. But God damn it, I'm going to keep this, I'm going to keep this bullshit operating system, but yeah, I should just keep it to myself and get out of their way. Just live my life happily without blocking traffic. That's okay. Hardly anybody does that now. Now, everybody wants their beliefs and their opinions and their delusions to be taken fucking seriously. It's my opinion and I'm entitled to it. Yeah, you are entitled to your damn opinion. You're entitled to your damn beliefs and you're entitled to your goddamn delusion as well. I don't have to respect it. And you sure as fuck do not have the right to have your opinions, beliefs, or delusions inflicted upon me. That's what I mean by get the fuck out of the way, stay in your lane. Are you with me? If you're still here, I suspect you are. Tonzilla Files, brilliant. Lots of strength to run and play. Yes. 
yes, yes. Pulls up weeds and does the chores, and he runs both ways to all the stores. He works up an appetite that way. Oh, roly poly, daddy's a little fatty. Betty's gonna be a man someday. Daddy's a little fatty. Betty's gonna be a man someday. <laughs> I love this shit. A guy named Bob Wills. Yeah, the song's called Poly Pony. Hey, it's old. Uh, that shit's like 1930s stuff, I think. Maybe the 40s. Yeah. I really enjoy it. I know it's not exactly what you would imagine your friendly neighborhood Tonzilla, the virtual Tonzilla, would listen to. I do like that stuff. And I've, I've lived out west. Desert southwest, Colorado. Uh, better part of 10 years. Really, really fell in love with that stuff living out there. Because I, th- I think part of it's because I've driven I-40 back and forth between the Midwest and the Desert Southwest so many times that I have this vision in my head of it's like 65, 70 years ago, I'm driving this big boat down Route 66, big moon in the sky, 3 o'clock in the morning, nothing out there but cows, my AM radio, and music like that. Love it. I love road trips too, man. This is the Escaping the Cave podcast, Tonzilla X-Pod. I'm your friendly host, Todd. Another exhausting episode we had together today, wasn't it, kids? Confess a little something to you. This one was not recorded in one sitting. Did it over the course of a few days. It's been a really weird week. Uh, With the uh, new feed, we're getting prepared to head back to Massachusetts. More on that here in just a second. It's been busy. So I would like to apologize. I suspect... I haven't listened to it all the way through just yet, but I suspect there may be parts of this that seem redundant. That's why. It wasn't recorded at the same time. But I think I'm going to leave it in there because I think I probably made points in the one part that I didn't make in the second part, and vice versa, and I want to leave it there. I ask your indulgence just this once. Thanks, I appreciate that. Talking a lot about truth, a lot about reality, a lot about tethering ourselves to it. In the last couple of episodes, going to continue. I've got Chris, as I mentioned, uh, he's coming in. He's back from Peru. He's back from his visit out west. He's going to be back in Mass a couple of days after we get there. He'll be staying with us. We're going to try to do a podcast, he and I together. I would highly encourage you to listen to this one. We have a tendency to sit down and talk for hours and hours and hours and hours. I came up with an idea of doing a podcast with him before we even left, long before we left for Peru. In fact, before the trip was decided on last fall, We were having conversations that if I did a podcast that he and I would do it here and there where he would sit in an episode. We're going to try to get that done next week. He has a lot to add to these discussions. He comes from another angle, more of a spiritual angle, a metaphysical angle. He comes from a place I was at quite a while ago. So there's a little tension there, a little friction, but good friction. You know, we try to get at the truth. So I encourage you. Uh, to listen to that, hopefully I can get that done next week. If not, it'll be, well, later on. <laughs> it's Friday. I'm trying to think of when I'm going to upload this. <laughs> this isn't this isn't live. <laughs> it feels like it is. It's Friday, uh, February 9th today. I'm going to upload this probably this weekend or Monday. So like the 12th, I guess. 10, 11, 12th. Yeah. So, we'll record this, I think, sometime between Wednesday and Friday of next week. So, yeah, this may be right around the 19th or so. Start looking for him. I'll label him the Friar or something like that. It'll have uh, some indication that he's in there. Keep an eye out for him. One, possibly two of these. I wish we could do more, but I'm moving back here. <laughs> and one other thing, I want to put a little bow tie on 
solutions. And when we're talking about this truth and reality stuff and tethering ourselves collectively back to it, that is, I think, the solution. If you're looking for that sausage party hope, I think it's going to stem from that. There's not going to be a political solution to this because the politics is the antithesis. It's driving just the opposite of what we need to find that commonality and strengthen the fabric of society once again. It's not going to come from the political realm. It's like George Carlin said, man. You don't hear me complain about politicians. You hear me complain about politics. And occasionally I will bitch about Donald Trump because he's an orange baboon and he's got the nuclear codes. Fine. But politicians in general reflect us. Okay? They don't oppress us. They are a reflection of of who and what we are. They come from us. Our politics, like our media, reflects us. They know you better than you know yourselves. They know what you want. If that's the case, the solution to this problem isn't going to be given to us externally by a political figure or a political party or an ideology, a religion. It's not going to come from that. It's going to come from us and our ability and dedication to recommitting or committing ourselves for the first time to finding the truth, to tethering ourselves in reality so we can have a common discussion with common, basic, simple facts. That's the beginning of compromise. That's the beginning of learning once again to be one people. Instead of these mobs throwing poo at one another. That's where it has to come from. I hope you understand that. And I hope you don't buy into, especially this year, an election year. Midterm elections are coming up this year. Don't buy into it. Gospel of Joshua, baby. Only winning move is not to play. Especially with the radicalization that's going on right now. It's moving us further away from that foundation in reality that we need to reestablish a common language so we can sit down, have a discussion, and come to a common agreement about who we are as a people and a nation. That's the only thing that's going to work. Sausage party hope? Absolutely. <laughs> Likely? What do you think? I think that's going to happen. starts with you. starts with all of us, individually and collectively, tethering ourselves, anchoring ourselves to doing the best we can to find the truth and facts, being honest about ourselves, with ourselves, and with each other, authentically looking in the mirror. I went through this last year. Everything that I talked about in this episode, I went through it again last year. It's hard, man. It's sneaky. I went through it when I had to extract myself from Camp Green Tea. The Rachel Meadow incident last March was the trigger for me. I had done it to myself again. Deluding myself. Enemy of my enemy is my friend. No, they weren't. They were just as full of shit as the people that I was railing against. That was a hard thing. I admit it. Got me. Ideological drift. Nailed me. Extracting yourself away from that. Getting yourself out of that spell. It can be done. But it takes honesty. Brutal self-honesty. Don't beat yourself up. You know, this happens to all of us sometimes. Just correct it. You know, part of that, I think, comes from detaching yourself, detoxing yourself from the boutique news media. 
and the echo chambers and the mobs taking control of your autonomous mind once again. Deciding for yourself as best you can who's telling the truth and investigate it. Don't just take your initial instinct's word for it. Challenge it once you, once, you, once you have that, as the Stoics put it, the impression. Then you let your reason take over. And do the best you fucking can. And that's, that's the way that you can break the spell. But man, it's hard. I'm telling you. It's real easy to just give up. I don't know what the truth is. Oh, fuck it. I like these guys. And it's so easy and so tempting and so destructive. Zombieism. You can do better than that. Especially if you're listening an hour and 45 minutes into a podcast like this. Your, your brain cells are still firing. So, I encourage you. I'm not going to say I believe in you. Collectively, I, I believe in some of you. <laughs> I don't believe in the people. We, the people, are fucking morons. You, the individual... You have hope for yourself. And you are the salvation of all of us individually. So, starts with us. And on that note, it ends with me right now. Thanks for listening. This is the uh, Escaping the Cave podcast, the Toddzilla X-Pod once again. The feed has changed. I am still up on the ChristopherMedia.net network, I think. Uh, so you can get my show there. You'll get the new feed there probably starting with this one. This one will be delayed on the ChristopherMedia.net network. It's not going to happen. It's not going to drop immediately. I want the uh, new feed promo to run a a little bit longer. But you folks who have migrated over, you'll get this one a little bit earlier. I am on uh, iTunes and also on Google Play. You can go to escapingthecave.com, my website, if you need those new links to update your uh, iTunes and Google Play subscriptions. Cruise on over there. (sighs) And yes, you you know what's coming, don't you? You can find me on Twitter at ETC Pod on Twitter. I have the urge to self harm. It's a good thing I'm not a cutter. You can also get my Facebook page. That's up again. I sound so enthusiastic, don't I? It's Escaping the Cave, Facebook. If you. Actually, I don't mind the Facebook page so much. I encourage interaction there. I encourage engagement. As long as you're not a dipshit. Don't drop memes on me. Don't give me the, if both wings are all part of the same bird. Don't do that. If you can go beyond that, you can offer something insightful, something original, and actually try to get to the crux of things, I encourage you to engage me on that Facebook page. I like conversations. I like conversations with people that are interested enough in these topics to sit through podcasts like the last couple. If it sets your brain on fire, I want to know why. Go ahead and hit me up on the Facebook page. Twitter? Eh. You can follow me at ETCPod at Twitter. That's all I'm going to say about the Twitter. Wow. feel like I'm forgetting something. Uh, Quite frankly, I don't care. I'm exhausted. We'll talk to you next time. So long.